I want to read just a moment from the Word of God today. And it simply says this from Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever, and your faithfulness you shall establish the very heavens. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who are around him. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? And I believe this with all of my heart, that today during this service, God is going to show himself as mighty God in your life. He's going to touch people's lives here today. There's no question, no doubt in my mind. Open your heart to let God do something good in your life. It's more than just showing up at church. It's showing up and letting God really concentrate on who you are. God bless you. Would you turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. In the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 1. And I'll begin to read at verse, um, verse number 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Again, I want to welcome our guests that are with us today, and, and I also want to welcome all the regular folks, too. That, that I mean, we don't take you for granted, believe me. We just, we're just thankful for you, and uh, we look out, there you are. Some of you are changing the places where you're sitting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, that's throwing me just a little bit. And, uh, I, you know, I'm just used to, okay, I look over there. Yep, they're there. And, you know, Jonah and I have this conversation. i got to let you in a little ministry secret. Jonah and I have this. I, I think we've done this for years. Years. And I'll get in the car, and I'll say, did you see so-and-so in church today? And she says, oh, yeah, they were there. Well, I look in the place where they're supposed to be, <laughs> and they're, instead of there, they're over here. And, you know, I'm just, uh, i got to get reoriented here. So you guys are... Boy, I tell you what, and uh, there's, Raymond is setting up here in the third row. This really, I mean, I, you know, he's a tall man, and he's, I can spot him real easy back there and everything, and so, uh, you know, it just, uh, and I'm happy that you're here. Believe me, don't get me wrong. Just don't do this. Just don't do this. Come in and sit down, and some guest comes in and says, I'm sorry, this is my place. You need to move over. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> We've heard of those stories. Fortunately, not here, but um, I've heard of them before. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it has pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The Bible is supremely 
the book about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament records for us the preparations for the coming of Christ. The Gospels present him as God in human form who has come into this world to save lost sinners. In the book of Acts, the message of salvation is, in Christ begins to spread across the entire face of the world of that day. And in the epistles, we see the theology of, of Christ being developed. And finally, in the book of the Revelation, Christ is presented to us as one who is on the throne and as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think about 10 years ago, I did something that uh, in, this, in the church service that I'm going to attempt to do again. But I can tell you what, it's harder this time than it was the first time. But I want to present to you these 66 books of the Bible in which Christ is preeminent literally in every book. You can walk through the chapters, you can find Jesus Christ. He's real. He's in this book. This is his book, and it's about him. Because in Genesis, we see him as the creator. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. In Deuteronomy, he is a faithful prophet like Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In the Judges, he is our faithful judge. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In the Kings and the Chronicle, he is the reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls. In Esther, he is faithful as Mordecai. In Job, he is our redeemer that lives forever. In Psalms, he is the Lord our shepherd. In the Proverbs of the Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our bride. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah and on Lamentations, he's the, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the face between the four wheels that Ezekiel saw. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the husband that is faithfully married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer and the Holy Spirit of God. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our savior. And in Jonah, he's the foreign missionary that's been sent into the world. In Micah, he's the messenger that brings good news. In Nahum, he's the Lord, our avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the prophet pleading for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord, mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the rebuilder of broken promises and dreams. In Zephaniah, he is the fountain of our righteousness. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, 
with healing in his wings. When we roll into the New Testament, we find in Matthew, in Matthew, he's our Messiah. In Mark, he is our miracle worker. In Luke, he is the Son of Man. And in John, he is the Son of God. In the book of Acts, he is the Spirit of God moving the gospel into all of the world. In Romans, he is our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the liberator from the law. In Ephesians, he's the unsearchable riches of Christ. In, uh, in Philippians, he's the one who is the provider of all of our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is he is the mediator between God and man. And in Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend of the oppressed. In Hebrews, he is the fullness and the completeness of the new covenant between God and man. In James, he is the Lord that heals your sicknesses. In First and Second Peter, he is the Lord who is coming again the chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John, he is the embodiment of the love of God. In Jude, he is the one coming with ten thousands of his saints. And in Revelation, he comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is to be found in every book of the Bible. He was Abraham's lamb. He is Noah's rainbow. He is Jacob's ladder. He is Moses' staff. He's a father to the orphan and a husband to the widow. He is the son of righteousness. He is our counselor. He is the beautiful rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. And his name is Jesus and he is Lord God Almighty. Please never forget that. Never allow that to leave your mind. The church in Colossae was facing some interesting problems as all churches face different things at various times in the life of a church. But this was a serious problem because it had to do with false teaching. And it was a false teaching called Gnosticism. Gnosticism had crept into the church and it was trying to marginalize who Jesus Christ was. It presented a mixture, kind of a mixture of mysticism, of Jewish uh, legalism and Greek philosophy. And none of that was good. In fact, it taught that Jesus was actually a created angel and receiving him was not enough for our salvation. The word Gnostic comes from a Greek word called gnosis, which simply means to know. In other words, the idea here was that in order to be saved, you needed to have some kind of mystical, secret knowledge that only a few people would ever be able to gain and, and understand. Folks, we still have a remnant of this today. 
And I'll tell you about it here in just a second. It's found in the Jehovah Witnesses who do not believe that Jesus is God, but a created being, an, an angel. And there are, similar, there are similar characteristics in Mormonism which attacks the deity of Christ. The Bible says in verse 15 here, he is the image of the invisible God. That word image comes from a Greek word that we know all well today called icon. We spell it a little bit differently. I-C-O-N is how we look at it today. But it simply means an image or a likeness. Even though the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7, it says, I am in the image of God. Do you know that? You are in the image of God. And there is a likeness here. We need to understand that there is a likeness here in this sense. We are not a perfect image, but we are in the image of God. Like God, we have an intellect, we have a will, we, uh, we have an emotion, we can think, we can feel, we can choose, all of these things. However, we are not in the image of God morally because we have sinned and we have fallen from that, and that's why we need a redeemer. We are not in the image of God because God is, one of the things that was lost was the fact that we are not omnipresent. We are not omniscient. In other words, we, we don't know everything. We can't be every place. We are not omnipotent, meaning we are not all-powerful. All of those things were lost in the fall. The firstborn over all creation comes to us from verse 15, the last few verse, uh, words there. And this is the exact verse. I want to help you on this thing. This is the exact verse where the Jehovah Witnesses support their error that denies the, the deity of Jesus Christ. They say this means that Christ was created because he was the firstborn. Look, folks. Christ was not firstborn. He is, he is forever and forever and forever. He always has been. When it talks about firstborn here into the Jewish mind <coughs> that this was speaking to and to the people of that day, it meant that the firstborn has all of the rights and the privileges, all of the rights and the privileges of being a son. And all of these things here, this is just simple confusion. A first-year Bible school Greek student would understand that. So don't get caught up in this, these sort of things. And watch yourself around these. First John chapter 1 and verse 18 says, Christ has made God known to us. I want to share with you, I talked about the preeminence of Christ overall. I also want to speak briefly here about the Christ the creator and Christ the head of the church. But before I leave this, I want you to know that <clears throat> the disciples, the disciples were having a number of questions there toward the end of their time with Jesus. And in John chapter 14, there's something that just pops off the page that becomes very interesting. Watch this, verse 9. Don't you know me, Philip? <coughs> Jesus is talking to one of his disciples here. Philip says, you know, Philip was asking a question. Philip was asking this kind of a curiosity question, and he said uh, to Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Father. 
And Jesus answers in verse 9. He says, don't you know, Philip? Don't you know? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, and here it is, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Did you hear that? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He has seen the Father. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God. And the person who was speaking that on that particular day was Jesus. Christ is over all of creation. In verse 16, chapter 1 and verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Folks, there is no such thing as an accident in creation. There is no such thing as some of these wild uh, 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 stories that, that pop up about how creation... I watch, I, I enjoy science, I enjoy it so much. But I just cringe when I hear this on, like the Discovery Channel or something. Well, 4.6 billion years ago, this atom crashed into this atom, and wow, it all came about. Really? Really, you want to take that route? You want to take that road? The intricacies of our bodies, us, the uniqueness of our DNA, the uniqueness of how we how we can see even so much better than the best camera that you can find. Our ability to process what we have seen, and we do so instantly with billions upon billions of nerves and synapses in our brain that make things work, that make things sensible. We see this. This was not some accident. This was not some 4.6 billion years ago and, and we, we emerged from this primordial ooze and swamp and we crawled on our bellies and, we became, and then we had wings and we did all kinds. Forget that. God said, I took a lump of clay and I breathed into it and a man appeared. And I breathed in him the breath of life. That breath of life, folks, is the thing that made that person a human soul that had eternity in it. You understand that? God didn't say, I took a piece of clay and breathed in it and it became a dog, a cat, a cow, or a pig, or anything else. But when I did that and created man, he became a human soul a soul that is going to live forever and forever and forever. Amazing. When I go to the book of Ezekiel, a book I dearly love, I think I love it because it's, it's kind of a crazy mystery. And when I read in chapter 37, Ezekiel, follow me. And I followed the Lord and we came to this valley of dry bones. 
And God said, prophesy unto the bones. Speak unto the bones. And that word, that word contains with it, breathe upon those bones. And those bones became living people. The Spirit of God moved upon what was death. The Spirit of God moved what was looked at by human beings as impossible. And God says, I'll make it live. I believe with all of my heart this morning, dear ones, that God can do anything, that God can breathe upon people who are sitting right here who feel I have an emptiness in my soul, I have an emptiness in my life, I need a purpose in my heart and life, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what makes sense, and God can breathe into your life and bring genuine life into what you thought was hopeless, into what you thought a while ago had no meaning. God can do that. God can do that. And I believe he does. I believe he often does in these services. We saw it at LifeGate. God breathing into people, and they become living before God. An amazing thing, a transformative work of God. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Let me take you back to a Christmas. We normally associate Micah chapter 5 verse 2 with Christmas. I'm going to read it to you. It says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet from you shall come forth from me a ruler in Israel. Now get this, here it comes. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This takes that idea of an angel that was created and just shoots it to pieces because Jesus has been from everlasting. He always has been. There's nothing like Jesus. And the heavens had a beginning, and the earth had a beginning, and I had a beginning, and so did you have a beginning. But Christ has always, he's from everlasting. Christ is also the head of the church. Christ chose the church to be the physical manifestation of his presence to a dying world. Jesus chose to knit himself to the church. Jesus died for the church. I am a person standing here today that simply does not comprehend why a person who knows Christ, who claims to know Christ, does not love the church. Yet I know there are people like that. I'm baffled, I'm mystified, I can't figure it out. I can talk to you about the Trinity. I can talk to you about other complicated theological issues. I cannot figure that one out. When a person is saved, you become a part of the body of Christ. You are said to be, quote, in Christ. 
I'm in Christ this morning. Craig, you're in Christ this morning. It's our, it's our credential, if you will. I'm in Christ, Mary, and so are you. It's our credential. It identifies us. We are different from every, everything else in the world. Why? Because I'm in Christ. In Christ. And God places us in the body of Christ and gives us spiritual gifts. He does. And he, and he says, I want you to serve the church and I want you to serve the world. So my, my influence is not just here in this spot. It's all over the world. Your influence is not just here, but it's all over the world. Today we have some people all over the world. We have some folks in Guatemala. And we're going to pray for them at the end of this service. I don't know what they're doing down there in Guatemala, but it's the same time down there. It's 11.50, 10.50. Ooh, I about shot myself in the foot there. It's 10.59 here. And it's 10.59 in Guatemala. And we're going to pray for them. That whatever they're doing and wherever they're at, that the Spirit of God that is real to us here in Palmer, Iowa, is going to be real to them in the place where God has them ministering this morning. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, verse 18 says, and this means that Christ is the first to come from the dead and possess eternal life. Remember, the death and the resurrection of Jesus was a powerful, literally a pivotal key moment he died, he rose again. And Jesus said, I am in first place to rise from, the, rise from the dead. And we rise too. We'll rise with him too. Jesus is the first of the resurrection of the new creation, and he will never die again. And folks, isn't that the greatest news that you've heard this morning? That when I finish with this life, just like that, one second, one split second, one uh, 320th of a second, I take my first breath in heaven, and I'm with Christ forever. Wow. That's powerful. That is so powerful. A little boy looked into the sky, and he asked his mom. He said to his mom, he says, uh, Mom, is, uh, is God up there? That's a good question, is it, for a little boy? And mom says, I assure you, God is up there. And then the small boy replied, wouldn't it be nice if he would put his head out and let us see him? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I, there's been a few days when I've thought to myself, I'd sure like you to stick your head out and take a look here. There's some things I, you know, and I know better than that. I know better to say that even. But in our humanness, we'd like to see him stick his head out and take a look. The small boy didn't understand that God has let us see him in the person of Jesus. That's what we're praying, that our kids that are back there in kids' church, that they're going to grasp this incredible truth that Jesus Christ is the epitome of the visible God. We want them to know that and understand that. We don't have to guess what God is like and we don't have to wonder if he's alive. 
Christ made the point to Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father, and that's good news. Think of it with me for a moment. When Mary cradled that little newborn baby in that Bethlehem stable, think of it. John says, chapter 1, he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of God. Think of that moment. A transformative moment for this entire world. God says, I'm going to start walking right where these people walk every day. I'm going to feel the things they feel. I'm going to face the temptations they face. I'm going to experience the frustrations that they face. And in that little tiny, tiny, tiny little boy, Mary looks, and it's the face of God. It's powerful. Janet, would you come back, please? Some of you have read C.S. Lewis and some of his writings, no doubt. Others may not know too much about him. C.S. Lewis was, uh, I would guess, I would call him a theologian and a philosopher, quite a writer. He has interesting, good books. Some of them are a little hard to read, but uh, they're good books. C.S. Lewis makes this statement, and this is what I want to close with today. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That person would either be referencing Jesus he would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. I must make a choice. Either this man was the son of God or else a madman or worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit on him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord God Almighty. So we make a choice, don't we? We make a choice. We'd like to think that, well, God loves everybody and after all, he's eventually going to just kind of wink at sin a little bit and just say, oh, well, I know you couldn't help yourself, just come on in. It, folks, it really doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. You, you won't find one verse in the Old Testament or the New Testament that would even support that kind of an idea. We make a choice. We make a decision. And that's the important thing, one of the important things of this church service. One of the roles of, of, our, of, our, of our speaking today is to help people solidify a decision in their life to know Jesus Christ 
as a Savior and Lord. Please don't be like the person that Lewis talks about. Oh, I agree. Jesus was a great philosopher, great man, great example, all of these things, but not God. We spent the last 20 minutes explaining he is God. He is the Lord of all. I make him the Lord of my life. Not just my Savior, and I, I know I'm splitting some hairs here and probably weird theology too, but he's the Lord of my life. I'm not just walking into church and saying, okay, I'm here because Jesus and I like Jesus, but he's the Lord. He's the Lord. And every day I wake up and say, Lord, I want you to rule my life. I want you to control my thoughts. I want you to control my actions and attitudes and all these things. And, and honestly, I stand here today and say, many times I stumble. But that's the wonderful, amazing grace of God. That God has committed himself to me also. And so he'll help me. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. <clears throat> I thank you so much for the eternal word of God. Father, we live in a day uh, that oftentimes we hear a lot of confusing messages. We hear a lot of strange things. And sometimes those strange things involves your word and who you are, who Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit is doing, all of these things. Sometimes we hear just very strange things. This morning, Father, I pray that the Word of God has truly spoken divine, eternal truth <clears throat> into our lives. I'm praying that somebody here in this room has realized, perhaps maybe really it's really sunk in for the first time, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. And I need to surrender my life totally to him. No playing around, no playing church, no just a head nod when it comes to Christ, but a, but a, a, a real living relationship with Christ. Father, I believe this morning there might be somebody who'd like to pray and simply want to pray with me, praying along with me right now, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Restore my hope. Restore my dreams. But save me from my sin. Today I realize I am a sinner and I'm lost and I can't redeem myself. I can't save myself. That's something only you can do. So Jesus, come into my life. I believe you and you alone for my Savior and my Lord. Father, I believe that you died on a cross for me and that you rose from the dead. Today, by simple, simple, childlike faith, I ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I promise, I promise today that I will do everything I can 
to live for him. Father, I thank you so much. While our heads are bowed this morning in prayer and reverence before God, would you do something before we close our service? And that is, if you have prayed that prayer with me and meant it with all of your hearts, could you just lift a hand? That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just lift your hand, put it right back down, up and down. That's it. Thanks. It's good. Father, we pray for our, our team that's in Guatemala this morning. Surround them with your presence. Surround them with your protection. Father, I pray that they would realize the power of the Holy Spirit moving upon their hearts and lives right now, in this moment. Father, whatever they're doing, whatever is happening right now, I pray that you will overshadow their lives and touch their lives and then touch others through them. Help them to be the witness of Jesus into that culture and into the environment that they're in. Protect them, provide for their needs, and then this week, give them a safe journey back home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.